0: It is good to be back to hear music. And uh, that's a little different than when you watch on the video. It is just so, uh, brings so much energy in life when you're able to to sit through worship with uh, live music. And wow, thanks band for for that. So two weeks ago last night is when the symptoms of COVID really just uh, gave me the big punch. I uh, started to have fever and chills and ached, and just felt absolutely uh, horrible. And I was up in my room by myself, and uh, Julie decided she was sleeping on the couch that night. And uh, so she was downstairs, and as I was laying on my bed, I just clicked over on my Spotify list and began to listen to a, a Christian group called Selah. And they do some contemporary Christian and some hymns and those kinds of things, and they played a, a little song that I sang when I was in the very young in the primaries at church. And the words are very simple. It's just a little prayer. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And something about while I was laying on my bed, shivering. And hearing that, the presence of God just began to move and work and show up in my life. I was not blinded by a light. I didn't experience physical healing at that point. But I had a spiritual touch and the assurance that God was with me, that God loved me, that God had me in his hand, and he was going to take care of me. I don't know where you are in your life today, but if you don't have that assurance that God's with you and that he loves you and that he holds you in his hand and he's going to take care of you, and that's life's most precious gift. And as you seemingly cruise through life and you feel well and your bills are paid and you're Your stomach is is not hungry, but filled with food, and you can pull out your plastic or pull pull out cash out of your wallet. Sometimes uh, we miss the one clear fact that we need God. We need Him, and He's here for us. As we look in the, the book of Romans chapter 1, Paul has a very simple introduction to uh, the church as he addresses them in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 7, and shares some simple truths with them that over the last few weeks have just meant a lot to me. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1 and verse number 7, and we're going to look at this one short verse and pull out some points. I want to encourage you today. Because some of you are facing challenges in life, some of you are facing transitions in life, there are decisions in life, there are hardships in life, maybe relational struggles in life, and you're wondering, does God really love me? Can I really feel connected to him? Has he really, does God really have a will and a desire for my life? And the answer to that is an amazing and wonderful, yes, God has a plan. And God loves you. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 7. It says, To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would speak and move today. Lord, if there's somebody here who they've never... Uh, experienced your presence in 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 a way that they know that they're forgiven and they know that you're in their life. Lord, I pray today that you would open their eyes. God, for those of us who are believers, we've put our faith in Jesus and somewhere along the way we've gotten distracted or we've lost focus. God, remind us of how we're loved, called, and connected. In your name we pray. Amen. Sometimes in complex times, there are some simple, profound truths that we just need to hold on to that need to undergird and give us hope and encouragement in life. If we look at where Paul is writing to, he's writing to Rome, the city which is the capital of the Roman Empire. He's writing to a uh, a, a group, a small group of believers in Jesus in a very complex and diverse city. It is a city that is filled with emperor worship. It is a city that is filled with idolatry and immorality and all kinds of, of different views, all kinds of different desires. There is the the sense that everything that we can see in the United States, we could see in ancient Rome. And Paul, as he addresses them, begins with an opening of six verses and he mentions the gospel of Jesus Christ and focuses on that. Paul had never been to this church and he had never met these believers. So he wants to make sure that they understand he is an apostle called by God and the prophets have talked about Jesus and his ministry and message is all about Jesus. And the only hope for our life is Jesus. And then he says... To all of those of you who are in Rome, you beloved of God, called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a very complex world right now, divisive world right now, a challenging world right now. We have seen that over the last few weeks, there have been hundreds of thousands of people who have been infected with COVID and have faced the physical challenges of that. Millions of people have lost their jobs. We have seen the economic uh, uncertainty all around us over the last uh, few months. Now it looks like things are getting better, but we just never know what's around the next corner. Then, have you looked recently at the natural disasters that have taken place? Did you realize that this is only the second time in history that they have run out of letters of the Greek alphabet to name these hurricanes or tropical storms? And so now they've diverted back uh, uh, to the English uh, alphabet. Second time. Do you realize that there have been four million acres of wildfires that have burned and ravaged in California? And if you haven't noticed on TV or uh, through any advertisements that this is an election year, and people have a few different opinions about that, and they have different opinions on, on... Masks and they have different opinions on everything going on in the world around us. And, and there is a, a sense of, of despair and hurt that many people are experiencing right now. And Paul, as he rides to the church at Rome, says, look, I've got in this introduction some profound truths that I want you to understand so that you can find encouragement in a challenging Day, I want you to know that there 's hope for you, no matter where you are today and I think he gives us three thoughts on why we can have hope and why we can experience a, a, a sense of expectation for God to move and bless our life. First off, we see that as believers that we are loved by God. Notice what what he says. As believers, we're loved by God. He says in verse number 7, to all who are in Rome, be loved of God. Now, there is a sense in which God loves everybody. There's a sense in which God makes it to rain on the just and the unjust, and the sun comes up and shines for all of us. But he's speaking to believers here who have truly experienced God's love through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, When you think about life, you can love those that are around you and show kindness to them. That person that, you know, you share a a locker next to or that person that's in the cubicle next to you at work and you have to endure from time to time. You can still show some love and grace and kindness and encouragement to them. And your neighbor whose kids, you know, ride their bicycle across your yard and those kinds of things, you know, you can show some love and grace and patience with them. But that's far different than what you show your children or your grandchildren. God's not talking about just there's this general love that goes out. He's talking about a sacrificial love that these believers were absolutely beloved of God. They came to know Jesus and they were loved of God. I don't know if you heard the news on Tuesday In North Wildwood, New Jersey, on the coast of New Jersey, an 18- or 19-year-old girl and a 10- and 8-year-old child were out in the ocean, and they got out too far, and their mom went to rescue them. And the three kids made it back okay, and the mom didn't. We, We can understand that kind of love as a parent or a grandparent that we would sacrifice for. And here the picture is, is that God loved us so much that he would make us one of his beloved and would ultimately send his son for us. How do we know that we're loved of God? Well, he gives us the the truth of it back up in in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 2. He says that he talks about the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets. God's love is revealed to us through the scriptures. God's love through the prophets. What did the prophets say? There's a Messiah coming who's going to take away the sin of the world. There's hope for a world that is separated from God because of the things that they have thought and said and done. There can be forgiveness for a world that has a separation between them and God, and it's found in the person of God. Jesus, that was the message of the prophets. So that in Jeremiah 31 3, the prophets would say that God has loved you with an everlasting love. God's love doesn't take a day off or have a bad day. There's not a bad moment. Sometimes our love can, can go up or down depending on how others, uh, treat us. But God's love is an everlasting constant and always completely faithful. And He has allowed that to be shown to us through the Scripture, so that in First John 3, 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. God loves us. He shows that through the Scripture. But he also shows that through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice with me in verse number two, he says he promised before through the holy prophets in the scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ. God's love is revealed through the son. Now, if you have your Bibles, flip over just a couple of pages to Romans chapter five and verse number six, because some people think, you know what? God loves me because I'm a lovable person. I mean, how could God resist this? I mean, I'm smart, I've got money, I've got intelligence, I, I've got abilities. Oh, uh, doesn't, doesn't God, shouldn't he love somebody like me? Well, let's look at how the Bible really pictures you. Let's look at what the Bible says, because we always want to look at us at our best. And God sees us in our reality. And so in Romans chapter 5, in verse number 6, it says this. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now there's three descriptions that are given to uh, about us in this passage. It says that when we were out without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And then it says, every once in a while, someone might give their life for a good man. But then he turns around and says, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the picture. Instead of looking at myself and thinking, man, God really gets a bargain when he gets me. God really gets somebody fantastic when he gets me. The truth of the matter is, is the Bible says that we're separated from God and without strength to get to him. That we are ungodly, that there is nothing in us that inclines us to turn toward God. And that we are sinners and we would rather do what we want than what God wants. But here's what the Bible says. That when we were at our worst, it says... God demonstrated or bestowed his love upon us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The truth of the matter is, is that all of us are separated from a holy and perfect God because none of us are holy or perfect. Matter of fact, if, if you looked at your life and, and you thought, you know, I'm not really that bad of a person, And and only three times a day did you think something or say something or do something that... That you really thought was that bad. You know, over a, th- over a year, that would be over a thousand things that you've done wrong. Over your lifetime, that may be 50, 60, 70,000 things that you have done wrong. And if you would take all of those 70,000 things that you've done wrong, and let me just tell you, first off, for many of you, three times a day just to lose your sense of patience or to say something wrong or to have a bad thought, I mean, that, three times a day, that that if you're awake for 16 hours, that's that's like, I only go four or five hours. That only do one thing. For, for most people, that's just not reality. But the picture is over a year and over a lifetime, we have done so many things that have disqualified from us from a perfect heaven. But this is what God did. God sent Jesus, his son, who lived a perfect life, never did anything wrong. And he died on the cross to take the punishment for our sin. And he rose again from the dead. He took our punishment. And now he offers us the free gift of eternal life. So that when we're at our worst, God sent his best so that we could experience his salvation. Simple, profound, eternal truths. Then look with me in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 5 if you're still in Romans 5. Because in Romans five five it tells us that the love of God is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom God has revealed to us. So God not only shows his love through the Scripture and through the Son, but God's Spirit at the moment of salvation comes into our life so that we know God's Spirit lives in me. I'm never alone. I can experience peace. I know God's presence is in my life. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. No matter what's going wrong in life, God is with me. God is in me. God holds me. God has his hand not even on me, but God's spirit is in me. So can I ask you today, have you experienced his love? Do you know that God loves you? Your response to that is because God first loved us, we love him. Our response is once we've received this love, then we want to love him and worship him back. As believers, we're loved by God. Secondly, we find in this passage in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 7, we are beloved of God, and then it says that we are called to be saints. So as believers, we are called to holiness, holiness, And as we think about the call to holiness, it's very interesting the way this verse is laid out. Because if you look carefully at Romans chapter 1 and and verse number 7, notice there what it says, because it uses two words called to be saints. But if you notice those two words, notice they are both in italics. They are in italics because they have been added into the English. They're not in the Greek They've been added to the English to help us to understand. But the picture is beloved of God, called saints. Now, there's a lot of confusion on what a saint is, especially in our world, because we think that, that a saint is somebody who dies, and then if they lived a good enough and honorable enough life, then we would look at them, and, and the Roman Catholic Church would take a, a, a vote on them, whether that man or woman would deserve sainthood. And that's not what the picture of scripture is at all. The picture of the Bible is, is that those who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and have been forgiven of sin, are saints. So there's only two kinds of people in the world. Listen, there's only two kinds of people in the whole wide world. There are those who are sinners, who are separated from God because their sin has never been forgiven. And there are those who are saints. These folks have sinned too. They've messed up. They're not perfect. But the difference is between a sinner and a saint is the Savior, Jesus Christ. The difference is, is a sinner is one who still carries the weight of his sin. And a saint, one who's trusted Jesus Christ, is one who's turned to the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I believe you died on the cross to take the punishment for my sin and rose again, Jesus, forgive me, come into my life. Have you made that decision? See, that is the foundation of understanding everything about our walk with God. It is knowing that Jesus, when he died on the cross, took my penalty— took my punishment and he rose from the dead and he takes everything that I've ever done wrong and he wipes it away. Could you imagine if you would take the the record of every thought, every word, every action, every wrong attitude that you've ever had and you would be able to, to run your mouse across that and and highlight it all and then hit cut and watch it all go away you would hit be able to hit cut as a believer and then you take it to the cross and you hit paste and all of the things i've ever done wrong are taken off of me and put on Jesus at the cross. And then could you imagine God taking all of the righteousness of Jesus and hitting the word and highlighting all of his righteousness and hitting the word copy and then putting it over on your account over here and hitting the word paste so that when God looks at your life you are righteous you are a Saint, you're one who has been forgiven. Now, as believers, we look at that word saint, we have to think about this. We are are first called to the Lord so that we're first called. A saint, we think they have to do all these things on the outside so that they look good and and can stand before God on the inside, and that's not the picture. The first thing is God works on the inside, We're called to the Lord so that we say yes to him and we follow him and we listen to him and the righteousness of Christ dwells in us and works in us. And so now that we've got all of this right on the inside because Jesus has taken our sin and Jesus has paid the punishment for it, then we are called to be separated from the world. We're called to the Lord and we're called from sin. Let me ask you this. When you think about sins in life, there are two types of sins. Sins of commission, those are things that we do, we commit. Sins that we commit, and then there are things called sins of omission. Those are things that we omit in our life, that we should be doing. And most of the time when we look across the the landscape of life in which we live, we always think that the sins that people commit are the worst things. Because they're doing this and they're doing that and they're doing this and they said this and they acted like this. And yet the truth of the matter is, it's not the sins of commission that are the worst. It's the sins that we don't do. The Bible tells us to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. And that's the first and the greatest command. And so when I'm loving God first with all my soul, heart, mind, and strength, then I won't be doing these things over here. So the worst thing for me is the sin of omission that leads me to the sin of committing acts. God calls us first to himself. If you've never called upon the Lord to come to him, he's calling you to come to himself and experience his forgiveness and his righteousness. And then he calls you to say, look, don't get stuck in the world's mold. Instead, come and say yes daily and say no to sin. As believers, we're called to holiness. Thirdly, we see in this passage as believers, we're not only loved and we're not only called, but we're connected to the Father and the Son. We're connected to the Father and the Son. He says that there, that that is. he writes them, he says, you are beloved, You are called saints. And then he talks about grace and peace. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. But we are connected to the Father and the Son through this giving of grace and peace. What is grace? If someone shows you grace, then they are showing you undeserved, unmerited kindness and favor and love and graciousness. Let me me illustrate it this way. When when I was a kid, and and it's been, been a little while, when I was a kid, I hated, I mean, me and my two brothers, my brother Lee was two years younger than me, my brother Dale was four years younger than me, We hated having to go to the material store. My mom sewed and she sewed a lot. And so my mom would drag us three boys to the material store. And, and now this is, this is a different world, okay, from, from some of you all live in now. But they have these catalogs and these ladies would look through all kinds of patterns. And then they would have these file shelves that they would pull out, and they would find the right pattern, and they would pick the right uh, material. And and it just seemed like every time we went, my mom used to make a lot of clothes for my, my sister's dresses and skirts and all this kinds of stuff. And me and my brothers, we hated going to the material store. So one day we're in the material store, and me and my brothers are having a terrible time, Okay. And uh, there's a little area by the window. We were in South County. We didn't have a store in Arnold where I grew up. But we were in in South County, and somebody from church, a man from church, walked by. And he was friends with my parents. And so we knocked on the window. Hey, we're waving to him. And he comes into the store. He talks to my mom for a minute. And then he says, hey, boys, you guys want to go get an ice cream? Now, at that moment, that was a supreme act of grace. We were somewhere we hated, we loathed. We were somewhere where we didn't want to be, where we were uncomfortable, where life was just the pits. We were at the material store. Life doesn't get any worse for a seven, a five, and a three-year-old boy than being at the material store. And yet someone would come and say, hey... I'm not only going to take you out of the material store, I'm going to take you to the ice cream shop. Now, there were six of us kids in nine years, okay? So we never ate out, you know, if we ate ice cream, it was at home, okay? So for us to go and get an ice cream and to leave the material store was this special moment of grace. We didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. We didn't merit it. But what someone did was they rescued us and they brought us somewhere awesome and wonderful. I mean, what seven, five, and three-year-old doesn't want to go get an ice cream? Here the picture is for us of grace. That God would see us in our sinfulness And he would say, look, I'm not only going to rescue you out of that, but I'm going to pour out blessings upon your life, not just for a few moments, but for all eternity. You can't earn it or deserve it. You simply have to receive it. As a seven and a five and three-year-old, we didn't have wallets in our pocket. We couldn't pay. We couldn't tip. We were just along for the ride, receiving grace. And God says, if you turn to Jesus, you can experience grace. And along with grace, he says peace. Peace can mean two different things. First off, there is peace with God. That means that my relationship is right with him. In Romans 5.1, we've looked in Romans 5, but in Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, because we believe that Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again, and we've received his gift of forgiveness, now we can stand before God because our punishment has been paid, and the righteousness of Jesus has been put on our account. We can stand in right standing with God. That's peace, right standing. But there's another essential aspect of peace, and that is a sense of tranquility and serenity and calmness when we face the trials and storms of life. Here, he says, grace and peace. May the tranquility and serenity and the calmness and the assurance of God the Father and God the Son be with you. Jesus, when he was in the disciple, with the disciples in the boat, and they saw the wind and the waves were around them, and they were afraid, and Jesus proclaimed, Peace! Be still. And sometimes he calms the storms around us. And sometimes through the storms, he just calms us with a peace that Philippians 4 describes as a peace that passes our own understanding. We can't even describe or ascertain how to share and show a peace that God can bring us on the inside when it looks like life is falling apart. So let me ask you today. Do you know that you've been loved and are loved by God? Are you experiencing and walking in his love? Are you connected to him? experiencing in his grace and his peace in your life. If you are not, then today is the day for you. Because God doesn't want you to live without knowing that you're forgiven, that you're loved, that you can experience his undeserved kindness and peace that passes understanding. If you're a believer today, sometimes we can get distracted and lost and all of the, the, the pullings of life, all of the distractions of life pull our attention. And God may be speaking to some of you today and saying, look, it's time to stop for a moment. It's time to pause for a moment and be reminded of what my word says about you. But if you don't know Jesus today and you're not certain that if you died, you'd go to heaven, then today, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, now is the appointed time. Today can be that day of salvation for you. And this is, this is what you need to do. If you don't know if Christ is in your life right now, If if you would pray a prayer, something like this, and you're not praying to me and you're not joining the church, but in your heart, if you would say, Lord, I know I've sinned. I've thought things and said things and done things. I've messed up. But God, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. If you would make it that decision. Open that invitation. The Bible says he'll come in. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And I want to ask you today, if you're a believer here today and you've just lost track, you've you've just grown cold in your love for God, God's speaking to you today. He can't do anything more than he's already done for you through Christ. But he's speaking through you through the Holy Spirit and saying, but I'm going to call you one more time to me. Turn to me. Focus on me. Swim deep in the depths of my love. Maybe there's something you need to turn from. There's sins that you need to turn from to turn to him, to to get that first love reignited. I pray today you do it. For those of you who don't know, that Jesus is in your life. In this still moment, would you say just to the Lord, you're not praying to me, but would you just pray this to the Lord? Say, "Dear Lord, I know I've I've sinned. I've thought things, said things, done things that have displeased you, and I am sorry." But I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me, come into my life forever. If that's where you are today and you say, man, I I made that decision to say yes to Jesus today. I'm not going to embarrass you, make you walk forward, do anything. But as I'm out in the foyer or Pastor Jerry's out in the foyer and you walk by, would you just say, hey, I... I prayed that prayer or I'd like to talk to you about that. Lord, I pray that you take these next moments and just again remind our hearts about your great love, your awesome calling and the tremendous connection that we can share with you. Lord, for those who don't know Jesus, I pray today that their heart would be open. For those of us who know you, I pray that our hearts would be reignited, that we would leave this place with a fresh passion to love you more. In your name, amen.